We're continuing in our series today, which we call Storytime, Part 8 today as we look at um, some of the big stories in the Bible. Today we're going to continue with Joseph and his brothers. If you need a Bible, um, Stephen will make uh, a Bible available to you, and otherwise um, you can start finding Genesis chapter 42. Last Sunday, we made, uh, we got started and we peered into the life of Joseph, one of the Old Testament's most exemplary people. We learned that Joseph, uh, he was a misfit, but we also learned that being a misfit is okay, and most of us are in some way. But when you're a misfit, you may go through some tough times. Um, and yet our troubles may actually be God's training ground for us. This theme, uh, uh, you know, of hardship or suffering being actually helpful has come up a few times. And um, but I want to be clear about something. I'm not I'm not looking for trials. I, I'm not looking for trouble. I'm not I'm not trying to to make life miserable. If there's a problem, I'll do all I can to fix it. But many troubles in life, many times of, of trial are are simply unavoidable or unfixable. And they give us. They give us plenty of opportunities to become bitter instead of becoming better. They give us plenty of opportunities to to become miserable. But Joseph, for all that he went through, did not go that way. So we're going to spend a little more time with Joseph this morning and try to get a better idea of how this young man, who had every reason to be angry and vengeful and bitter, how he turned out to be compassionate and God-fearing, and a great blessing, not to mention wildly successful. He's just a, a, an amazing story. So we're we're in Egypt. Let me let me show you a picture of Egypt. Um, there's me on a camel uh, at the actual pyramids. That's not photoshopped. That's a, that's the real thing. And it's a great find. I've got another picture here of our family in front of. Oh no, that's Stuart, my son Stuart. He's holding up the pyramid. Uh, I forgot that I put that one in there. So um, you can thank him later. For holding up the pyramids, they uh, they might fall down any day. So, uh, so what's happened so far? Uh, you've got Jacob, who's also called Israel. He's got twelve sons. The eleventh one is named Joseph, and Joseph is the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. We're going to meet Benjamin later in the story today. And Joseph was a bit of a problem to his older brothers because God was giving him dreams and visions and he was sharing these. And these visions were suggesting that Joseph would rule over his ten older brothers and his one younger brother. And so they hated him and they despised him. And not only that, he was his dad's favorite and that made him even more worth despising. And the opportunity came and they sold him as a slave off to Egypt. In Egypt, young Joseph, at 17 years of age, became a slave in the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar was, was an Egyptian official. He was captain of the guard for the pharaoh. And he excelled in his work. He was an excellent slave. But the time came that Potiphar's wife accused him of misconduct, of rape. And Joseph was immediately thrown into prison, wrongfully. As he languished in prison, he had the opportunity to rise to a position of leadership. He served the warden of the prison and and did excellent work again. And while there, he became known as an interpreter of dreams. Dreams that that he accurately 
translated for people. And, and from there, remark, remarkably and miraculously, Joseph had the opportunity to even interpret dreams for the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he did so with such excellence and offered such superb advice that the Pharaoh saw fit to elevate Joseph from the prison to the prime minister. He that took 13 years from being sold into slavery, or about 12 years from being sold into slavery, uh, to that taking place. Or he was 30 years old when that happened, from 17. So yeah, that's 13. Not really good at math. And so that's where we're going to pick this story up, because what happened was a severe famine took over not only Egypt but the whole land. In in prior to the to the famines, Joseph saw in the dreams that there would be a time of great prosperity and so stored up, stored up, stored up grain that they would need for the future. And and that's exactly what happened. Seven years of great prosperity. And as they begin, after the seven years, they enter a time of drought and famine. It's getting desperate throughout the world, including back in Joseph's homeland where Jacob or Israel and the remaining 11 sons are beginning to wonder how they're going to put food on the table. And they hear that Egypt has grain. I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word from Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42 says this, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob would not let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob, or Israel, his sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan, as well. Now, since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them years before. And he said to them, You are spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. And this is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. And to this they agreed. 
Verse 21 says, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life and we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. And when he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Let's take a seat together. Simeon is the second oldest brother. And he's held. Joseph has his stewards fill the sacks of grain for the, all the, their, their caravan. And off they go. But what they don't know is that Joseph also instructs them to return all the silver that they brought to purchase the grain to put it back into the sacks. And then next that night, they, they, they leave and at, as they stop for the night, one of them goes to get grain to feed the animals and discovers the silver is in the bag. And they're terrified. Oh no, what is going on? We are in so much trouble. We, we're going to die for this. And they're, they're quite concerned and they, they make it all the way back home and, and they report to their father what's happened and why Simeon is not with them. And he, they just say, you know, the governor, he, he was, he spoke harshly and he asked these specific questions and, and, and we, we had to, we had no choice. And if we go back, we have to bring Benjamin or when we go back. And as they opened the rest of their sacks of grain, they found all the silver had been returned. And they were just in a full out panic. They don't, know, they don't know what's going to happen. And Jacob, meanwhile, is just weeping before God. Oh, I've lost Joseph. And now I've lost Simeon. And now you want to take away Benjamin too. He's just, oh, just it's a little, he's a little dramatic, I think. He's, he's a little dramatic. But that's okay. And Reuben's like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll take you know, the life of, of, of my own two sons in place. Of Benjamin, but we've got to go back with Benjamin if we're ever going to see Simeon again. And, and Jacob just, he just can't handle it. We're going to get to the rest of the story, but it, I, I want to say this. We've got, we're setting up a, an encounter here that's going to remind us about choices. You cannot control your circumstances. You cannot control people. You cannot even control your spouse or your children or your parents or even your dog. You can barely control ourselves on a good day, but you can control your own attitude and your own actions. It's by your choices, even if they're um, somewhat subconscious choices or subconscious decisions. And I believe Joseph made at least five choices to turn suffering into success. And we're going to see these through all these chapters here. And the first choice that Joseph made is found there in chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, when it says, Joseph was governor of all Egypt in charge of selling grain. And it was the brothers came to him. And when they arrived, they bowed before him or the faces of the ground. And Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger. And he spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? Now, why didn't the brothers recognize Joseph? I mean, he recognized them right away. Twenty-two years had passed. So why, why could he recognize them, but they not recognize him. I know he's grown up. He was a, he was a kid when, when they parted ways. But something else has happened. I believe that Joseph made an important choice to adapt to the changes into his new surroundings. 
sort of accepted the new reality around him. And he adapted. Friends, we're immersed in constant change at work, at school, in politics, in technology, in culture, at church. Everywhere there's change. It's a fact of life. And we cannot fight the changes or pretend they're not happening. We, we need to, well, we, we can, but we have a choice to either resist or to adapt to changes. And I would say if we're going to be successful in change, we have to adapt to change. So you choose to adapt. Now, I didn't say adopt. I'm not talking about adopting the culture. I'm not talking about adopting the world's ways of doing things. Joseph obviously looked like an Egyptian. He spoke Egyptian. He blended in. The, the brothers didn't recognize them, but Joseph was still a Hebrew. He still worshipped God. He did not compromise his faith in any way. But he chose to relate to the culture around him so that he could be a blessing to others. He didn't and couldn't choose the changes in his life, but he adapted to them. When you adapt, whether it's to changes in the culture, changes at work, changes at church, you're going to develop an appreciation for the people around you. Your eyes will open up and see ways to be a blessing. The person who refuses to accept a new and changed reality and adapt to it. Honestly, if you if we refuse to accept the reality around us, we become agitated and annoyed and irritated and kind of not very happy. And that's not what you want. I, it, it happens in lots of little ways. Let me share one very little simple example. When I was uh, 18 years old. I went with uh, what's called Youth with a Mission, an international missions organization that you, you, you have three months of training and then a couple months of outreach. And this is end of 1986 into 1987. And, and our team traveled into People's Republic of China. We brought some Bibles in surreptitiously. Some of us got away with it. Some of us didn't. And um, we traveled in this, in this a team of eight through this uh, country, went from city to city. It was a remarkable experience, but it was a bit overwhelming. And you know how it is when you're in a bit of a culture shock. You have a little bit of like, my culture knows better than this culture. Oh, I can't believe they do it this way. Don't they know anything? Um, things like that. And you just have a little, especially when you're young, a little bit of an attitude. And about a month in, I realized, I'm not doing this very well. I need to do a better job of adapting. So I asked her, our, the interpreter who's traveling with us, I said, Joyce, can you teach me a little bit of Chinese just so I can like start blending in a little bit? So she taught me how to count to 10 and how to you know, buy oranges and, and uh, how to say I don't have any money and um, do you have any food? Those kinds of begging phrases that we, that we needed eventually. And um, you know what? My experience, honestly, was better than everybody else on the team. I had a lot more fun than they did. Because I, I was trying my best to adapt to my surroundings, blend in, get it figured out. And it opened some interesting conversations and opportunities. So we need to choose to adapt. Joseph turned suffering to success by adapting. And then he also made an important choice to be free. Even though he'd been a slave, been in prison, he could easily you know, um, have been held captive Maybe not physically, but held captive by unforgiveness toward his brothers. 
But instead, Joseph chose freedom. I really think verse 21 is a pivot point. A little bit maybe hard to make that connection, but verse 21 says, Speaking among themselves, they say, Clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Can you just visualize that? This brother just pleading to his older brothers. Guys, don't do this. Seriously, guys, come on. No, don't do this. And they just heartlessly took money in exchange for his life, trafficked him off. Man, I don't know what that would do to your heart. But that could easily set up decades of, if I ever get back with those guys, if I ever have a chance, I, oh, they are going to be so sorry. They are going to wish they'd never been born. I mean, let's just be honest. That might be my first reaction. Oh, Oh, you just wait and see. But obviously, that wasn't the direction he went. Joseph chose to be free. Freedom is a choice. Not physically, maybe, but internally, freedom is a choice. And if you, can I just say, if you're holding a grudge to somebody, or if you're mad at God about something, or you're not forgiving someone, you are living in a prison of your own making right now. And here's what's amazing. Your prison, the door is open. And you could walk free if you, cho- if you choose to. I, I really love the, the work of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, as an example. I don't know if you knew this, but we have a meeting room in the resource building at the back of our property. And we rent that meeting room to AA for, I think it's 13 meetings a week. And it is awesome. It is just awesome. I love it. And before any of us you know, get a little bit of attitude and think about, well, it's just for those kind of people. Let me just tell you, members of ANA, of AA are you and me. They're you and me. They're these, we're all ordinary people who are, you know, have, each have things we're working through from every walk of life. And the, the difference is people in those, that room have decided to choose freedom. They've decided to choose freedom in their life. Not simply freedom from alcohol, but freedom from the wounds and the scars that led them to addiction. And any meetings that I've been to, um, honestly, are maybe more like church than most church services I've been in. Confession, encouragement, testimony. It's awesome. It's a choice to be free. There is a remarkable irony, of course, hidden in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Because the one... That's rejected, the one trafficked into slavery, the one unjustly thrown in prison, is the one who's free. And the free brothers are not free. For over 20 years, they've shared this family secret and it's just been eating away at them. They're still arguing about it decades later. They're, they're still guilt-ridden, still blaming each other, still clearly ashamed of their deed. And just waiting, expecting God's retribution on their life. Honestly, friends, that's no way to live. If you've buried something that you've done or that's been done to you or you're keeping some embarrassing family secret covered up, can I just say, it's going to eat at you. It's going to enslave you until you bring it into the open with someone. Joseph chose to be free and you can be free too. And if you need help, why don't you just come see me sometime? Let's talk about it. We'll pray together. Help you choose freedom. Well, let's go back to Joseph's story. You know, picking it up in, in chapter 43, it says this, but 
the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. And when the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. And Judah said, now remember, Judah is the one whose idea it was to sell Joseph in the first place. And Judah says, the man was serious when he warned us. You won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Why are you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned. Why did you tell him you had another brother? And that's when, when Judas says, look, they, he asked all these specific questions. And he asked about our father and our younger brother. And we, we just had no choice. And so finally, reluctantly, Jacob says, okay, fine, you can go back, but you're going to take the best of produce of our land, all the good stuff that we grow here, you're going to take it with you, you're going to bring us gifts, you're going to bring all the silver that you took the first time, plus that much more. You're going to go down and you're going to, you're going to pay for what we had. You're going to pay for what we're going to buy. You're going to give him gifts. You can take Benjamin. But boy, if something happens to Benjamin. And so sure enough, they, they go and, and they get back to Egypt and, and Joseph welcomes them. But this time Joseph says, oh, let's serve them dinner at my house. Oh, now they're really scared. They feel like they're being led into a trap. And, 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 and they, they pull the steward aside. They say, by the way, we just want you to know, you know, all this silver that we brought the first time to pay for this, the grain, it, it was in our bags when we returned, but we brought it all back. We didn't steal it honest. And the steward says, no, no, everything's accounted for. You're fine. Your God must have done some kind of miracle. You're fine. Oh, they're so confused. You just got to love Joseph. He's just having a great time with these guys. Who ever knew you could be cruel with kindness, eh? So, sure enough, he serves them a meal and brings, brings, rather brings Simeon back out and, and, and seats them in order of their age. They're just amazed at all these things. Gets to Benjamin. He gets, Benjamin gets five times the portion everyone else gets. You know, I, I really believe there's some, some important prophetic information there, but we'll cover that some other time. And so, um, they go through all this and they, they're going to they're gonna go back. They're going to buy their grain. They're going to go back. So they load up all the sacks again. And, and uh, this time Joseph says, now here's what I want you to do. He says to the steward, take my special silver cup and put it in the sack of the youngest brother. So the next morning they, they're all loaded up. They head off and they haven't gone very far. And the steward comes chasing after them and says, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? Is this any way to repay kindness? You stole the silver cup of my master. No, no, no. We would never do such a thing. We even brought back the silver from before. No, no. It's gone and one of you stole it. They're like, hey, if it's in any of our bags, that person's going to die and the rest of us will be your slaves. We don't have it. Go ahead and look. So he starts looking. He gets to Benjamin's sack. There it is. The brothers are devastated. They are caught in such a rock and hard place. What, what are they going to do? And they go back to Joseph and they start begging, begging. And Judah, particularly the one who had sold Joseph, is begging Joseph, seriously, take my life. Don't take Benjamin. You can't do this. Our father will die if his, if his youngest son is gone. Pleads and he pleads for them. And finally, chapter 45 says this. Verse 1, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. 
And so he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Verse 2, he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and, the, and word of it carried to the Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. And they came closer and he said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. Think about this. You've got to catch this. This isn't in my notes, Mike. Um, these brothers are fully expecting God's retribution. And Joseph says, it was God who sent me here to preserve your lives. Look how many people are expecting God's judgment and punishment. And instead, God wants to give life and salvation. And we're surrounded by people all the time. Have you heard someone say, oh, I could never go to church. The, the roof would cave in. Right? It's such an completely upside down understanding of what God really wants to give. Some people say, no, God wants to punish me. No, he doesn't. He wants to save you. He wants to give you life. Some of you in your own lives, you're thinking, boy, some of the things I've done, if I just, I'm just going to sneak in under the wire and I'll get to heaven and that'll be good enough. I want you to know God has, God wants to bless you. God wants to lead you. God wants to be abundant with you. Get a right understanding of who God is and his great love for you. Wow, Joseph... Joseph has this key. A uh, third one here is that Joseph chose to serve well. We need to choose to serve well. You see it especially there in those verses. He's now serving his brothers. Last week, we ended with the point that serving gives meaning to suffering. And it, it really does. But it also may be a path out of your suffering. Joseph served, but he served with excellence. As Potiphar's slave... He was the best servant, best slave Potiphar had ever had. As a prisoner, he served the warden so much that the warden didn't even have to lift a finger. As Pharaoh's prime minister, he served with absolute efficiency. He even served his rotten brothers. It's, it's like Jesus will say a couple thousand years later, love your enemies, pray for them, do good for them. Joseph's service is love in action. It's love for God, but it's given away to people. Sometimes that's, that's the best way to love God is to love people. Serving Nunley made his suffering meaningful. It led to promotions. And I, I just, here at this church, I just love the way so many serve here at Bethany. I see it all through the week. I see it on Sunday mornings. It is just fantastic. And with Sunday morning services, you know, we say worship in one, serve in one, and invite to one. Worship, serve, invite. That's, that's, how, that's how the church is going to grow and reach, reach the world. Right now we have Easter's coming up. We've got a great couple of events coming up for Easter. Um, Good Friday service at 7 o'clock. And then sunrise service on Sunday morning at 7.30. Sunrise breakfast and then two services on Easter. We, we have a bit of a need on Easter Sunday in the nursery. And if you're available and uh, equipped for that, we'd love to have you help in the nursery that day. But the Apostle Paul uh, put, it, put it this way. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, he says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave. That's what Joseph was doing. 
He served well. The rest of the story is, is pretty straightforward. Pharaoh gets word uh, that Joseph's family is, is around and, and, and Pharaoh says, look, let's invite your whole family. They can come settle. They, can, they don't have to keep bringing grain back and forth. They can just come settle. We'll give them the best part of the land. And that's exactly what happened. So Jacob and all his entourage, they, they travel down to, to Egypt and they settle in what's called the land of, of Goshen, which is a very fertile, wonderful place. They're shepherds and they're able to raise their flocks and livestock there. And Jacob gets the opportunity to meet, because of his son's influence, gets to meet the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the, the most powerful man in the world. And Jacob brings him a blessing. And Joseph continues to lead superbly. Uh, Pastor Les and I were talking this week that Joseph was a bit of a socialist. As the things, as things get more and more desperate and people keep coming to Joseph to beg them, he says, well, um, well, give me your livestock. Okay, well, why don't you give me your lands? Okay, you... Well, I'll own you and I'll keep feeding you and I'll give you seed to plant and then you owe me 20% tax. And, and that's how Joseph effectively takes ownership of the entire nation on behalf of the Pharaoh. It's a pretty amazing story. You can read about it. Chapter 47. And then Jacob has the opportunity to meet his grandsons through Joseph and he blesses them. It's just a, a, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then finally... Jacob gets really old and he's going to die. And, and he does. And he blesses Joseph. And, and, you know, Joseph is kind of heartbroken. But Jacob says, promise me you're going to bury me back in the homeland. And so when he dies, Joseph and an entourage, they go through the proper Egyptian embalming and everything. And then they take Jacob back and they bury him. And then the brothers are really scared. Chapter 50, verse 14. Chapter 50, verse 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Oh, they're still a bunch of liars, aren't they? Their dad never knew what happened. They never did tell their dad. They haven't got the courage to just come out and say it. But they, they're, they're just convinced that, that they should, you know, that they should still be in trouble. But Joseph was so over this, and his heart was so soft, he just wept for his brothers instead. He just wept for them. Verse 19, Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Look, another way to get better instead of bitter is just choose to love. Just choose to love. Love's always a choice. No one deserves your love and no one can earn your love. Listen, you cannot earn love and you, you don't deserve love. Love is always a gift, even to your spouse. The, the most romantically perfect husband and wife even know this. Feelings tend to come and go. 
Love is a choice. Love is giving of your own self for the benefit of others. You, you might give your time or your attention or your compliments or your support or your listening ear, your time and communication, whatever it is. You give up your own preferences and your own conveniences to benefit another. And that's love. And it's patient and it's kind and it stays calm and it doesn't keep track of wrongdoing. I led a memorial service here on Friday for Lily Brown, sister to Lee Hebert. Many of you know Lee and Jack Hebert. Lily's sister, I'm, I'm Lee's sister Lily passed away. And Friday is my day off, my one day off in the week. And, and um, I love leading memorials, but I was tired and I really needed a Sabbath. But being a part of the service, honestly, was just encouraging and motivating. And um, a few of Lily's special needs friends shared, and it was just so fun. And that little act of love on my part, done out of my own inconvenience, honestly, was rewarded many times over. We just got to choose to love. If we're going to keep soft hearts and be successful in our mission, got to choose love. And the last thing you see is to choose to trust. Choose to trust. I just want to bring you to verse 24. Joseph now has, he's an old man. We've come to the end of his life. And he says, verse 24, soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Look, not only did Joseph understand there was a reason for him being there and all that he'd gone through. It's called the 50-20 principle, what we read in chapter 50, verse 20. Right? But Joseph believed his father's instruction and God's promise that God would bring them back to the land. He trusted God. He trusted the future that God had promised them. Jesus made promises of a future land too. In John 14, you can read how Jesus promised, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And there's many rooms in that place. An eternal heavenly home if you'll just trust in Jesus. Jesus promised never to abandon you if you follow Him. That includes you and me. He promised that we'd have trouble in this world, but that He's overcome the world. Jesus promised that all who who would trust in Him would have everlasting life. He promised we'd do great works of healings and deliverance for people if only we'll trust Him. If you and I are going to follow Jesus with any impact at all, we've got to trust in His promises. Joseph trusted God and it kept his heart soft and it turned his suffering into success. And whatever you've experienced in your life or whatever you're in the middle of today, I think this last choice to trust God is the most important one by believing in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this life of Joseph. We've we've skimmed through uh, just such a such a big part of history. I just thank you that he made those important choices not to be embittered, but to be free. Choices to serve, choices to adapt to his surroundings. Choices to love and the choice to trust. Lord God, I, I just thank you for him. God, I pray that we could take those same principles and apply them into our own lives. Lord, if, if there's anyone who's, who's at a place of just so struggling in a relationship today, God, I ask that you'd bring them to that place where they can choose love and freedom and forgiveness. God, would you just be glorified in this place? And lastly, church, I just want to give you this opportunity. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you have never trusted Jesus for salvation... But you're saying, I, I'm ready to do this. I want to, I want to follow Jesus. Would you just give me a, just raise your hand and I'll pray with you after the service. We can help explain even what that means. All right. 
and the rest of us, let's let this week be just stirring on what are the choices I need to make to truly be free, to truly let suffering become success. God, we give you our praise. We thank you for your presence here. Amen. Amen.